Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Anyway, uh, I want to say a thanks to Paul. This man is, I think, the most efficient man I've ever worked with. I mean, he is on top of it, getting everything done. And um, Paul, I tell you, that really takes a skill. Some people just don't have it, and thank you very much. And I enjoyed getting to meet his sweet wife, Tammy. Uh, She said I met her at IBC, but I don't remember. So anyway, well... Glad to be here. Appreciate the invitation to be here, and I've looked forward to being here. And then uh, <clears throat> I have tonight, and I go to Parkersburg, West Virginia, on Saturday, and um, that will make about my oh, I don't know, seventeenth or eighteenth meeting this year. Um, the Lord, Lord, is still blessing an old person here uh, with opportunities. And then I come down with this throat issue, James. It came on me Sunday uh, afternoon. And so I've been to the doctor. I've had shots and all that. and they, um, So anyway, steroids, you know the whole nine yards. But uh, can you all hear okay? Uh, I, I have, my voice is getting better. I talked to Peggy yesterday. She said today it sounded better, unless she told me a story. No, I don't think she did. <laughs> Just teasing. Okay. Wow, look at these young people over here. You know what? I remember being here now. Because y'all were sitting right there. And I mean, pay attention. What do you mean? Look at these girls right here. Y'all going to have problems with back there. All right. Love these young people. Great. Okay, you got your Bibles? Let me see your Bibles. Get them up. Get them up high. All right. Wow. Okay, I take iPads and phones and uh, everything else, as long as it's got the Bible on it. All right, let's get with it, okay? And study for uh, this short period of time about things that matter to us. And the thing that we're talking about tonight is the home. That matters, doesn't it? You know, times are changing. Now, these young people won't know what I'm talking about, but some of you are old enough to know that the the families of Ozzie and Harriet, you remember that, some of you? Let me see your hands, okay? And the families of Leave It to Beaver, those families no longer exist in America. That's why I'm starting this lesson. Those are the kinds of families that we need, really, but they, they no longer exist. And of all the people that ought to be interested in this, It ought to be God's people. Shouldn't we be the ones that are pushing the the kind of a home that God wants us to have? I think that we ought to be, you know, the folks that are doing that. There was a need for godly homes in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 18, God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. Now, what I find very uh, interesting about this is that he said, I'm going to make a helper comparable uh, you know, the King James says, help me. And then after that, verses 19 and 20, 
God brings all the animals before Adam for Adam to name. And after he did that, the Bible says none of, there was nothing found suitable for Adam. It's almost like none of these animals are going to, you know, work. <laughs> okay. I don't know the exact implication of all of that. But at any rate, following the naming of the animals, what happened? God caused a great sleep to fall on Adam, took a rib from his side, and made woman. And Adam said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Then the Bible says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That's the beginning of the home. That's the beginning of the institution we call the home. Well, as God had planned, they became fruitful and they multiplied. And so there were many people that um, ended up living at that time. We don't know exactly the period of time. But in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, Every intent of man's heart was only evil continually. And so you know what happened? God planned the flood, didn't he, to destroy mankind. Now, here's my point. Listen to me. Are you listening? If the homes in Noah's day had been the homes that God intended from the beginning, there would not have been the need for the flood. We need godly homes. Now, I brought a little piece of paper here to show, show you some stats. Um, I didn't memorize them, <clears throat> and so I, I brought it here to read to you. Now, what I find interesting about this is the first thing I want to share with you goes back to Newsweek Magazine, 1991. Now, that was a long time ago, right? What's that, 31 years? And it says, the American family does not exist. We are creating many American families of diverse styles and shapes. We are living through a period of historic change in American family life. I think we'd all agree with that, wouldn't we? Okay, I found a note in my files. <clears throat> I was working on this. And the note was from 1975. And in 1975, I put a note, I wrote a note out, it's my handwriting, that the divorce rate at that time was 25%. That was 1975. It's 50% today. 50%. 75% of people will remarry. 66% of those living together or remarried will break up when children are involved. 16% of households are single-parent homes. One-third of custodial mothers never marry. 37% of American births are out of wedlock. Suicide's the third leading killer between ages 10 and 24. 31% of women in the United States experience some kind of domestic violence. And in one Rhode Island study, the University of Rhode Island, the conclusion was the American home is the most dangerous place to be outside of rights and declared war. That's crazy, isn't it? You know the name Edward Gibbons? He wrote The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Have you read it? Get it? Read it. And he said that there were five reasons for Rome's 
decline and fall. And reason number one was the rapid increase of divorce, the undermining of the dignity and the sanctity of the home, which is the basis of human society. Hoover said, national corruption is a sum of individual corruption. The strongest good in the community is not the school, it's not the church, it's the home. As the home goes, so goes the nation. We need godly homes. Now what I want to do tonight is share with you a few reasons um, that are a few things that make a godly home. Do you want a godly home? I know that you do. We all want those kinds of homes. Well, what is it that will make a godly home? You ready? Everybody with me now? Number one, those who marry live together according to God's ordinances. Now, for years, I have been saying, when people ask me, who can marry? Here's what I've been saying. Those who've never been married, those who've been married but their spouse has died, or those who have been married and a spouse became unfaithful and the innocent party, you know, put that person away. Jesus allows that, right? Matthew 19, chapter 9. Chapter 19, verse number 9. Now, I've had to change what I've been saying for over 50 years. Now I have to say there's four things instead of three. You know what I've added? Those who can marry include a man and a woman. Is it not weird that I've had to add that, you know, to my list? And so the home that God wants us to have is a home that lives, where two people live together according to God's ordinances. The problem that we have is we don't look to these ordinances much anymore. This book right here is a book designed to help the world conform to the book. Am I right about that? Amen? That's weak, but I'll take it. Maybe you'll grow on me here a little bit. I really need to feel a little bit of love, okay? Should I say I hadn't felt good in several days and, and so forth? No, I don't want to elicit your pity. I want you to say amen. Okay. All right, thank you very much. I need that. Okay, but instead of having the world conform to this book, um, frequently there are efforts to make this book conform to the world. And that's just getting it backwards, isn't it? And so what are the ordinances of this book? Let me just throw out a few. I don't have time to go in the list that I've got here. So let me just think of a few. 2 Corinthians 6 and 17, Wherefore come out from among them, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I'll be, um, you'll, you'll be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Verse 1 of chapter 7, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 1 Timothy 5 and 22, Paul told Timothy, Keep yourself pure. You know the verse, Philippians 4 and 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. 
marriage is honorable in all. And the bed is undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Hebrews 13, 4. The works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in times past, that they who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty plain, isn't it? So there are a lot of other verses I could share with you, but I won't do it. But the home that God wants us to have is a home where people live according to the book. According to what this book teaches. I love the story of Joseph, don't you? And I love what happened in Genesis 39 when Potiphar's wife was attempting to seduce him on a regular basis. You know what Joseph's response was? He didn't say, well, um, you know, I could get away with this. He didn't say, I'm a young man and, and I need to sow him a while. He didn't say any of that. You know what he said? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So see, we've got to get in our minds that there's some kinds of behavior that are wrong. So we've got to keep ourselves pure. That means what what our eyes look at. And, And let me tell you something. It's changed since I was a young man. When I was a young man, I'd heard about girly magazines. Okay? I'd just heard about them. But... There's a whole lot more available today besides that, isn't it? Am I right about that? All you got to do is turn your phone on. Let me tell you, when I, w- I went to Freed Hardeman in 1990, and this is before they had a firewall to protect you know, faculty and staff from you know, stuff. Sometimes I'd go into my office, there'd be all kind of you know, stuff on, on the screen. And then you know, uh, sooner or later, they got a firewall to help us, but watch this. Listen to me. Before the firewall, I was sitting at my desk one day, and all of a sudden, my screen went blank. And then at the top, it said, here is your message from Hazel. I'm thinking, I don't know any Hazel. Here's your message from Hazel. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, what's this about? And so here it goes. Starts right here. Boy, she had some pretty blue eyes, I'm telling you. And coming on down here, and I started pushing escape and off and everything else, James, I could do. And it got on down here, and it was getting down in here. And and I could, and you know, I'm from Mississippi, and I don't, it takes me a while to catch on, Okay. But I was beginning to get the message from Hazel. And I just went to the wall and pulled out all the cords. It's the only way I could stop Hazel from coming into my life. And so I'm telling you, you got to watch, you know, what we, what we have in our hands. I was talking to a guy just the other day up in Indiana, and I was admiring his truck. And he said, yeah, let me tell you how that truck happened. My wife and I were talking about me getting a truck. And I woke up the next morning and there was advertisement on my phone about a truck. Now, is that weird or what? 
It's got me to thinking that maybe there's something listening to me all the time. I mean, I mean, we got Alexa, right? Uh-oh, did I just turn on something? I mean, I got her in my shop, and I can barely say her name. I can be 30 feet away from her, and she picks up on it right there. We just got to be careful of what we got in our hands. Number two, the home that God wants us to have is a home where those who marry love one another. Everybody has two needs. They have the need to love and they have the need to be loved. I believe that everybody has that. And love is to exist in the home. Husbands do what? Love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The older women, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to teach the younger women, this is in Titus 2 and 4, to do what? Love their children and to love their husbands. Now that seemed odd to me, James, when I read that years ago, that older women are to teach the younger women that. See, to me, that just would seem natural. But Brother Paul tells us that they have a responsibility to help these young women, you know, know how to behave themselves toward their husband and their children. And so how should it be in our lives? Let me tell you how it is. God comes first. Isn't that right? God comes first. His church and all that's involved in that. Number two, my spouse comes next. And then my children. Ms. Light and I raised three girls. I told those girls more than once. We are allowing you to live in this house. But this house belongs to me and your mama. God comes first, our spouse comes next, and then our children. A lot of people get that all out of order, I think. Some people don't feel like that they're loved. I think one of the reasons some people don't feel like that they are loved is because of a lack of demonstration of love. You see, love demonstrates itself. God so loved the world that he, what? Tell me, what's the next word? That he gave his only begotten son, right? So love does something. You heard about the man at the counselor's office? He and his wife having problems. And the counselor said, well, um, John, you ought to buy your wife a bottle of perfume every now and then. He says, all right. So he leaves the counselor's office, stops at um, one of those places, whatever it is, was it Victoria, something or another. Whatever it is, he stopped at, and he got a bottle of perfume. And he slams open the door when he goes at home. And his wife's on the couch. He throws the perfume over on the couch and says, Here, the counselor said I ought to buy this for you. That's really not the way to do that. That's not really demonstrating love. I think another reason some people don't feel loved is because they have a perverted idea of love. Uh, I love the story of Samson and Delilah, don't you? Uh, you remember that movie? Some of you are old enough to remember on Samson. Who You know who the actor was that played Samson? Victor Mature. Wasn't that his name? I believe that was his name. Nobody seems to agree or know. Ah, okay, maybe one. Anyway, it's kind of like Charlton Heston in heaven. If, if, if Moses does not look like Charlton Heston, I'm just going to have a fit, I guess. Okay, anyway, 
So here's old Samson and Delilah. And you remember, you remember how she's tempting him you know, to find his strength and all that. I won't go through all the details. But on the last try, she said, if you love me, you'd tell me. That's really a perverted idea of love. So some people, I think, don't feel love because they have, a, they have this view of love as, as some Hollywood thing. They, they view it as just romance, romance, romance all the time. Speaking of that, let me just pause um, uh, about some words. There are about four Greek words uh, for love. One is eros, from which we get the English word erotic. And guess what? That word is not used in the New Testament at all. Another word, the noun is agape. It means love. Another is philos, and it means love. And then there's another pronounced storge, and it means love. Now with that, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. You know where it is? All you got to do is sing the song. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Actually, remember that? It's getting to where I have to sing that song a lot. All right, Romans 1. All right, I want you to go down to verse number 31. Who has a King James Bible that would be willing to read verse 31 for me? Got someone up here with a loud and resounding voice? No, nobody? We don't have one human being that can do that? Okay. Okay. The phrase I want us to look at is unnatural affection. Now, I'm going to just be honest with you. The first time I ever read that, I thought that that, those two words, unnatural affection, referred back to what Paul was talking about when it said that people were dishonoring their bodies among themselves. They were going against nature, you know, and all of that. Okay, that's up in verse number 24, uh, 26, and so forth. Unnatural affection. But get this, the word there is a derivative of storge, which means love. And the New King James has unloving instead of without natural affection. Now, do you know what the word storge describes? It describes the love within a family unit. That's what that word's about. So when he says here without natural affection, he is talking about the idea that the kind of love that's supposed to be in the family unit does not exist. What is without natural affection? It refers to a man, to a a father or a mother who beats up their kids. So that's not natural affection, is it? Of course it isn't. And I found that very interesting when I, you know, really dug, you know, dug into that. And so think about that next time you read verse number 31. It's not talking about homosexual behavior in the preceding verses. It's talking about the lack of what is natural in a family unit. 
that does not exist in some families. Sometimes I've had people, you know, say to me, well, such and such happened, you know, in a family. And they'll say, Brother David, you know, how, how did anything like that occur? And I said, it's not natural affection. That's the reason. It's unloving. Number three, those who marry are supposed to stay together. I did a wedding up in Kentucky one time, and they got, they got tickled about it. I didn't aim for them to get tickled, but they did. When I said to the, um, the two young people that were going to get married, I looked them right in the eyes, and I said, let me tell you something. Getting married is kind of like dying. They had the strangest look on their face. I said, you're supposed to stay that way. Not right? So getting married is kind of like dying. You're supposed to stay that way. In 1 Corinthians 7 and 39, the Bible says, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. And I take that to mean according to Jesus' teachings. But the point is this. God's ideal for the home for a husband and wife is to stay together. That's the ideal. But even Jesus recognized that sometimes, you know, that, that does not happen. And that's the reason that he said, whosoever puts away a wife, except for unfaithfulness and marries another, you know, commits adultery. And so we need to recognize what our Lord Jesus said. Is that right? I think we should. If Jesus said it, I believe it, don't you? Of course you do. Now, let me quickly add that I think that there are some cases where, um, and this is usually the women, in all the cases I've ever heard, um, it's had to do with women who are in marriage relationships where they are being abused by their husband. I know of case after case like that, and you do too. This is not far from any of us, Right? And so, what I have suggested in those cases is that that woman get out of that relationship. Oh no, Brother David, you don't mean it. I said, well, I guess I do. I, don't, I wouldn't recommend to any woman who's getting a tar beat out of her every day to stay in that relationship. She could be killed. Now, I'm not saying that that means that she could go out and form another relationship. You didn't hear me say that, did you? No, you didn't. But I'm saying she needs to get out of that relationship. Now, what I have found that in most abusive relationships, that man is being unfaithful to his wife. And if that's the case, you know, that woman would have the right to put him away according to what Jesus said. But only for immorality can that be done. That's what the Lord said. And so, if we're going to marry, we need to plan on staying together. We, we, need to, we need to be looking at what we're supposed to be looking at. We need to be behaving the way we need to be behaving. And by the way, I should have mentioned this a while ago. 
And I'm just going to back up because it's an important point. And I, I'm primarily here saying something to the women. Now, I don't want y'all to beat me up or anything about this. But I think it is predominantly a lady issue, okay? Ladies, men, I meant to tell you this while I go about Hazel and I got carried away with myself and forgot. Okay? Men are visually stimulated. That's just a fact. I think y'all know that. I'm saying it, okay? So what does that mean? That means that we men need to be especially careful what we put our eyes on. Can you say amen to that? I hope you can. Some of you didn't. You do agree with me though, don't you? Hmm, okay, I'm glad to hear that. All right. So, you ladies can help us in this area by dressing modestly. Wouldn't that help? That would help, wouldn't it? But, let me tell you, it's a real problem when, when girls, uh, young, young women are wearing these, I don't know what you call them. In my day, we call them leotards with our girls. I think that's probably not the word. Let me just tell you what they look like. They look like black pantyhose. What do you call that? What's the word for those things? Leggings. Okay, whatever you want to call them. Now, now listen to me. Are you listening? I am not opposed to black pantyhose. If that's what y'all want to wear. But I am opposed to black pantyhose if you wear it and then your shirt just comes down to your waist in the back. Does that make sense to you? That's not modest. And another thing, if, if ladies are wearing clothing that looks like, you know, they're, they're in a sausage casing or something, that's not appropriate. Can I, can I picture that for you any better? That's not appropriate. And so don't do that. And so if it's too low, don't do it. If it's too high, don't do it. If it's too tight, don't do it. Y'all know what modesty is. And I'm happy to say that whatever I have seen here tonight looks very modest. And I'm grateful for that. Now, men, how do we say it? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Um... We need to be cautious too about, you know, our clothing. Man, I've seen some men in some jeans that they shouldn't have been in. Too tight. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And I've seen it to other extreme too. I was walking behind a boy at Freed Hardeman one time when I was walking to chapel one day. And I said, son, I didn't know who he was. I was right behind him. I said, son, it looks like a whole family moved out of the back of your britches. I said, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to call attention to yourself? If that's the case, you got my attention. And I said, son, can't you buy you some decent pants to wear? So we should not wear anything that's going to cause undue attention. Listen, I preached for a 400-member church in Memphis, Tennessee when I was in my 20s. 400 members. I could get up in the pulpit, James. I could just scan the audience 
And there was this one lady stuck out like a sore thumb every Sunday. All I had to do is just look like, up. Oh. you know, next Sunday, if I started over here, uh, why? Because of all this gaudy apparel and everything. And so we need to be cautious about that. Am I okay for having said this? Is that, is that okay? I, hope, I guess not. If not, elders will see me or something. But okay, real quick. We heard the phone. I mean, not the phone, whatever it was, bell. Uh, the home that God wants us to have is a home where the Bible is taught. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Two of my favorite verses of Scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, verse 4. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these words which I command you shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Do you get the idea that we need to be teaching our children? So the Bible has got to be taught. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart. i got to pause on this just for a second. <clears throat> I know people who have read Proverbs 22, what is the verse number 6, and then I think it's Proverbs 22, 6. And they have read that like it's Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for forgiveness of sins. You have to know what kind of literature you're reading. A proverb is a proverb. A proverb is a general truth. It, it's a general truth. It's not absolute like Acts 2.38. For example... In Proverbs, uh, where is it? 15 and 1, it says a soft answer turns away wrath. But James, you may give a soft answer to somebody and get your head knocked off. So see, it's a general truth that if two people are in an argument and one of them can give a soft answer, that the argument may be abated somewhat, right? Generally speaking. So here's my point. I know parents who have beat themselves up because they raise their children according to what the good book says, and then their children have made bad choices. And the parents immediately say, what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? I know that's the case. I know it from experience. But I want you to quit doing that, because we need to remember that God made us free people. I received some good raising. But I'm a free person. I can go against the raising that I received at any point in time. But generally speaking, if we give the right training, then it'll take. But there's always exceptions you know, to that. So we've got to give the right training. We've got a lot of biblical ignorance today. I called on a student at Freed Hardeman. One of my classes, I bet this wouldn't happen with one of these young, beautiful people here. I said, son, would you turn to Galatians for me? He started over around Deuteronomy. I said, if you'd go to the second half of your Bible, you might do better finding it. You mean to tell me, you know, somebody doesn't even know where Galatians is? They're raised in the church? What's that about? So we got to teach. You heard one congressman met another congressman that he didn't know the Lord's Prayer. Did you hear that? He said, well, I guess I do. 
I bet you don't. I bet you ten dollars. He'll say, well, okay, I'll just show you. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And the congressman said, well, I'll say, I didn't think you knew it. (laughs) I wish we had time for my last point. The home that God wants us to have is a home that's united in Christ. It solves a lot of problems if homes can be united in Christ. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.